1: I'm Bartree Bunnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And Elizabeth, I was traveling through France a little bit, and I was a little bit in Spain. And it's always interesting to see how other countries eat. Yes. And it's also scary to see how Americans eat and how we're influencing other countries, including, I saw a lot of KFCs. Yeah, really weird, really weird. But today we're going to be talking about Japanese nutritional wisdom. I came across an article that I found fascinating. And then I suddenly realized, not only am I interested in this, but all of the times we've talked about nutrition on the show, we've never really dug really deep into how you're feeding your kids. We sort of talk about it tangentially, but I want to know like the
0: daily lineup for your kids. But first, we have some good news. Oh, my gosh. Very exciting news. We want to introduce a new partner on the Best to the Nest podcast. Isn't this so exciting? And it is. this one is near and dear to my heart. It is Moi Climate Smart Skin Care. Marjorie, you know, I've been using these products for almost three years. It is my favorite skincare line. It has been totally game changing. And I must say, when I pop on the camera with you here, you often say, your skin looks so good. I do. I do. Just random. I can't stop myself because your skin... Looks so great. And if
1: for anybody that watches Elizabeth on television, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But your skin is lovely. And I just got my box of Pormois skincare products, and I'm
0: very, very excited. You're going to absolutely love it. Here are my tips for you a little goes a long way. These are French made premium European skincare products. So just do one pump, okay, Marjorie? Hold your pump back. This isn't like drinking all of your coffee. It is so good. Affordable luxury skincare from France. Proven anti-aging results. It's Pormois Climate Smart Skincare. And we even have a discount code for our fabulous nesters. Use the code BEST for an extra 20% off with a 100% money-back guarantee. You just go to com. That's P-O-U-R-M-O-I Skincare.com. Japanese nutritional
1: wisdom. I came across this article, I think it was just yesterday. And it was just a short little blurb, honestly, on Instagram. But it's written by Yuku Tamara, who writes for CNBC. And honestly, when I read this, I thought of you and I thought of your children. And I thought of the way that I fed my children. And I was pretty good, but not great. There are things I would do differently. Knowing what I know now, there are lots of things I would do differently. But Yoko Tamara wrote this. She said, in 1896, pharmacist Sagan Ishizuka coined a Japanese philosophy called shokoiku, this is a lot of Japanese for you, Marjorie. I'm I know. very proud of you. I know. I think I'm doing it okay, but I'm not sure. With
0: all it, due respect to the Japanese yes, language, we're trying our best.
1: We're trying very hard. It is derived from two words that mean eat and grow. Oh my gosh! I need that
0: word embroidered on something. I, know. I mean, Screw the live, laugh, love signs. Get me a shokiku sign above my range. <laughs> There you go.
1: I'm telling you, as soon as I read this, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't wait to tell Elizabeth. So she goes on to write, this encourages parents and schools to teach kids where their food comes from and how it affects our minds and our bodies. She writes that according to UNICEF, among 41 countries that belong to the EU and the OECD, Japan is the only country where fewer than one in five children are overweight. And now we talk a lot about body image, but we also have to acknowledge that when children are overweight, it can lead to so many complications. I mean, the numbers for diabetes among children—I mean, there's just a lot that comes with if if people if kids aren't eating well.
0: Fatty so, liver disease is a big thing with kids yeah. that you never you never saw it in kids before, and now you're starting to see it. They're seeing what in kids? Fatty liver disease in children. Yes, Marjorie. Oh, my
1: God. Okay. I know. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. But she talks about how the Japanese, how Japanese parents are able to incorporate four important things into their children's diets. One is implement shokoiku early, which if you think about that, and, and I've talked about this before, there was a chef that I worked with that I did a story on in her restaurant was in Scottsdale, but she had a program called Chef in the Garden. Yeah. And she was she was encouraging other chefs that she knew to sort of be the representative chef at a school. So every chef would get a school, and then they would have the garden at the school, and then the chefs would come and they would cook, cook with the kids. And, I mean, the kids were learning. Some of these kids didn't even know what certain kinds of vegetables were. They'd never seen them before. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's pretty amazing. So this is what they implement early in Japan. They also encourage bento box conversations,
0: which I thought I love a bento box and I love conversations. So, I mean, this is... Why not talk about the bento box? What does this mean? Are we talking about it? Are we talking while we're eating out of the bento box? Or are we talking while we're putting little tiny portions in the bento box? See,
1: this is why I love you. Because if... If we had time and it wouldn't like drive all of the people who are listening away, I would want to hear how many different ways you could come up with that. How many different ways could you talk about that? But what it means is that they're talking about, they encourage in the the lunchrooms, in the schools, kids are encouraged to be a part of the planning process in that. Mm. They're a part of the serving process in that, which I also love. The kids are a part of the process of the food going out to the other children, and then they're also encouraged. Um, one teacher was quoted as saying that they're she encourages the children to talk to each other about what's in their bento box and to share food that's in the bento box. And then the other thing that's really important that I don't think happens in American schools is parents are kind of shamed if they're not putting nutritional food
0: in the bento box. Yeah. And it's sh- happening a little bit. I mean, some places. I just really? got a note from our preschool that said that we can send things for Halloween for the but. kids to give out if they want, which right. I don't know. I, I'm like, okay, but um, and it said, please do not send sugary treats. Hmm. So it needs like they gave an example of like healthy snack things that you could send with that they could give out for trick-or-treats at right. Halloween or non-food items right which so can... it's sort of a little bit I think there's like the idea of how can we sort of minimize the just the damage wild amount of sugar that is right. getting and and like industrial seed oils and then um, super refined flowers that are getting like pumped into our kids but it's a challenge. I mean it because you're totally right. I mean the cultural difference here is is just wild.
1: Well, I I just think that, and we've talked about shame before, and I grew up Catholic, so shame is a very comforting (laughs) thing to me. And I know it's not good. Brene Brown, I know, I know, it's not good. Shame is not good. But I do think there's an element of where where, um, the writer was talking about how the expectation in Japan is that children are going to bring nutritional food for lunch. Even when I was growing up which I kind of look at, since it makes me sound, you know, 100 years old, but I kind of look at it as the beginning of like really integrating processed food into your diet is, it was like a big deal, like hot dog day was a really big deal when you would get a hot dog and you would get a, you know, a bag of Lay's potato chips. And I always had sort of pretty nutritional lunches my parents didn't have a lot of processed food in the house. And so I coveted, you know, you'd see kids coming with the snack size, everything. And I coveted that. And that was more the norm than the strange lunch, which I would bring, which was every day a cream cheese and walnut sandwich, which was not the norm. So, no. but I would covet the other things that I saw. And I I, I don't think, I, I think kids, and I'd be curious as to what you're seeing like in Bernie's class, I would imagine there's still a lot of processed food
0: coming in the lunch bags. There's a ton. And there's yeah. a ton of conversation about it with me and my children. It, You know, the 1950s was really like the dawn of the processed food and the okay, ultra processed I wasn't alive food in revolution. the 1950s. Let's that, be clear. <laughs> I know. I'm being clear about that because what I'm saying is that was the time <laughs> when it like became this marketing extravaganza that was essentially like don't make food at home. And this was really marketed towards women Women. because, you know, and and it gets to be when you have these conversations about food, it gets really challenging because if you're me, you start to realize that like this came along with the increased choice that women started to have in terms of what their life was going to look like. That that this food sort of revolution, this industrial food revolution sort of came along at that same time because it was, hey, you don't like, you can go and achieve anything and then you can just put dinner on the table with a hamburger helper. And some of that really started to happen out of necessity because the truth of the matter is there's only so many hours in a day. And so if you're saying to women, you can go out there and work something that I value very much. I really like going out and doing my job. But you also have to understand that that is going to come at a cost because if you're working eight hours a day, it's impossible to make three meals from scratch every single day. And so the dawn of convenience food was born. And so it just gets to be like this super tricky, nuanced conversation because I benefited from that But at the same time, I feel like collectively, we are not benefiting from the ultra-processed food just taking over America. It's like, I don't know anyone who's arguing for eat more ultra-processed food. There's people who are saying, you should be vegan. You should be carnivore. You should be paleo. You can find 100 people in 100 different tribal camps of what diet they think you should eat. And there will not be a single one who says everybody should be living off of Oreos. Oreos, like you can't find, you can find a doctor to support any one of those other dietary choices or lifestyles. You cannot find a doctor to say like, hey, cigs and Oreos, this is where it's at. Cigs and Oreos. And let's add some vodka to that.
1: Cigs, Oreos and vodka. You know, that's funny. We really haven't done the deep dive on that on YouTube. I think if we really did look on YouTube, we might be able to find that, but we all know that that's insane. Um, but you're, you're right. And so I just think, um, you know, that's so interesting that you bring up this idea of the rise of feminism, the rise of women sort of taking ownership of their lives and how processed food made us or made our mothers feel like that was okay. Like that, that wasn't. And, and you know, it's, I, I, look at my own parents and I think about, cause my dad did most of the cooking and he was mm-hmm. a pretty good cook and they were of a generation that didn't grow up on processed food. so that. That just wasn't a part of my upbringing. Like McDonald's yeah. was not a part of my upbringing Well, at it all. was
0: more expensive then. I mean, you have to remember, like I remember as a kid, my parents being like, we can't get a happy meal because that's too expensive. expensive. And like, we're not going to buy Chips Ahoy cookies because those are too expensive. But it majorly shifted during my childhood from the 80s to the 90s. It shifted To, and I mean, if you want me to dig into the farm bill with you, I'm happy to, but that really might turn off some of our listeners. But it really started to shift where it became cheaper to buy processed foods than it became to have real whole foods. And I mean, and you really, and I jokingly say the farm bill, but really when you start to look at like farm subsidies and things like that, that's why this gets so complicated complicated because then it becomes cheaper to buy ultra processed food than it is to buy whole food although i do feel like some of that is perception because i do see like a lot of cost breakdowns there's there's a lot of people kind of doing that on instagram where it's like okay f- a meal for 5 at mcdonald's is xyz dollars if you scratch made like you bought a pound of grass fed burger and made it you can actually do it for yep. cheaper i think some of that is perception and it's a little bit easier to just like dismiss organic food if you say, oh, that's like elitist and just super expensive. But if you make the right choices, buy things on sale, have some time to put into cooking it, I think you can make it really comparable. But time is the great equalizer. There's well, only 24 hours in the day.
1: I will say that my youngest son, during COVID, he had just graduated with his master's in January mm-hmm. 2020 moved to Chicago to get a job, and then Covid hit. And so he's like, i can't I can't sit around for a year. And so he joined AmeriCorps. And that's he went to um he was actually in Minneapolis. He went to Minneapolis for a year and was worked on a team that ran a food bank for the elderly.
0: yeah.
1: So f- for those of you who don't know much about AmeriCorps, it's it is it is service but it i think the pay was something like $11,000 a year i mean it's not a living wage it's not uh, a living wage
0: no that's like a third of a living wage yeah it's
1: like 11 or 12,000 so he made it his mission um he supplemented it he supplemented his income by doing some research um for somebody and so he supplemented the income but not by a lot but he made it his mission to figure out how cheaply he could eat while covering all of the nutritional bases. And it's quite it was quite shocking. He should have he written was,
0: a book about this.
1: He was he was able to live on that amount of food. Now, mind you, he had three roommates. He, I mean, you you couldn't do the same experiment if you had young children or a family. Right. It's just different. All he had to take care of was himself. And he doesn't, as we've talked about on this podcast, you've all met him on the podcast. He owns nothing. But he was <laughs> able out of that to feed himself and to make his car payment and to make his insurance payment so out of that and he 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 had purchased a, a new car and so he out of that he was able to do all of those things but it was a lot of quite frankly it was a lot of rice and beans it was a lot of but he is an extraordinarily good cook with the right spices the right ingredients he could do it it, mm-hmm. it can be done, but it also takes time. I mean, even when he was staying with us, he was always soaking beans. I mean, there's always a pot of beans soaking somewhere. I love him.
0: You know? oh, so. I love him so much. That's properly treating your legumes. <laughs> this is wonderful. This is how they should be respected. This is like how I feel about potatoes and duck fat. Treat your potatoes with respect. Give them duck oh, fat. Yeah. And then with your oh. beans, soak these little little love bugs. They so. don't want to just be cooked... No nope. fast, nope. you got to do some slow. I mean, there's reasons why these traditional methods of preparing foods are why they were there because they made these foods more digestible. Yes, and it's significantly cheaper than if
1: you're going to buy 16 canned ounces beans. of canned beans. Mm-hmm. And so it, we could go on and on. But before we do, when we come back, I very much want because I, I the more I thought about this, I couldn't believe that we've never done this before. I really want sort of a day in the life of your children
0: and food. We're going to tell you about our new partner on the Best of the Nest podcast, which is Pormois Climate Smart Skincare. I'm so happy that my skincare company loves Best of the Nest. And Marjorie, you just got your box of Pormois Climate Smart Skincare. Yeah. Um, what's our plan here? You're opening this up, you're going to bust it out. Do you have it sitting right there I to do. unbox? I you did. know, this is an audio podcast, so you're going to have to describe it.
1: I know. So I got my Climate Smart Rotating System. So it's for the local climate in the Midwest. So I yep. live in Kansas. So this is perfect. And then I got the <laughs> oh, this is the climate smart skincare clarifying polish. Oh yeah, exfoliant clarifiant.
0: This is are so I saying good, it
1: right? Yeah, you are. It's the it exfoliator. Cleanses, it cleanses, softens, and ex- exfoliates. You know, I need to be
0: polished. This is very good.
1: I You're going to love this.
0: So, okay. So the clarifying polish, I want to tell you, use like two to three times a week in the morning, put it on dry skin, and it's going to exfoliate your skin beautifully. Put it on dry and then add a little bit of water that's in your hand to your face. And you'll see it kind of turns to like a milky consistency Mm -hmm. and then it's activated and then gently rub it all over your face to exfoliate and then take it off with like a warm washcloth. And then the system is a four, it's four products, but it's a three-step rotating system because you're going to use the day cream that's appropriate for that day's weather. Okay. So you're going to take your phone, you're going to scan the QR code that's on the top of the bottle, and it's going to tell you based on your location which day cream you can be using. So you dress your skin just like you dress yourself with the weather. Are you ready for this? I love a system. You know me, I love me a system. Too. Oh gosh, Pormois is affordable luxury skincare from France. So we're going to remind you again, use that code BEST for an extra 20% off. There's a 100% money back guarantee. We know you're going to love it. They have a very low return rate, let me just say. Go to com. That's P-O-U-R-M-O-I-Skincare.com. Now, back to the refrigerator. What do yeah, you want tell to Tell me, tell me, tell me.
1: So... On last week's podcast, we had a surprise appearance from
0: Heathcliff. Mm-hmm. and Which he was I'm walk- hoping isn't repeated today.
1: <laughs> yes. And he was walking through, he was walking behind you, and you said to me, don't you love that crunching? And he was eating potato chips. Yeah. And I, I said something like I was surprised. And you're like, no, 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 no. These are <laughs> potato chips fried in avocado oil. And then there was something else extraordinary about them. But it made me think about, what does a day look like for your kids? Because of course they're kids, they have snacks, but start with like when you're getting them out the door, what's breakfast?
0: Okay, so breakfast at our house for the kids is usually sourdough waffles. Okay. um, And then sometimes eggs and sausage depending, and bacon depending on the day. And it's sort of like any combination of those things. So I have a sourdough starter that I maintain because I bake sourdough bread regularly. Right. And then I use the discard- so basically, every time you feed your sourdough starter, you have to discard some of it. Otherwise, you'd end up with this like massive pile, but you use the discard in recipes. So I make this waffle batter that sits and ferments overnight, and then I make the the waffles in the morning, and it's super easy. And I usually make those waffles two to three times a week because I make enough that they can eat them one day and then have them the next day. Oh, nice. To- Okay. And then on the waffles, usually there's lots of grass-fed butter. I do Lily's chocolate chips. So they're stevia sweetened. They're little tiny ones. And they love, they think that's like the best treat. And then usually pure maple syrup on the on them. So what I kind of do with our food is I try to think about just swapping out like instead of using the artificial version of something, we eat real food. Real food is the priority number one. Okay. So sourdough waffles to me are real food and it's all about using as great of ingredients as I can get. So when I'm making the waffles, I'm using locally milled um, flour that is not modern wheat. It's usually an ancient wheat, so it's not as high in gluten. And then the milk that I used is low temp pasteurized and non homogenized, and it's from grass fed cows. And then the eggs that I use are from our chickens in the backyard. And then when I'm buying like meat products, I'm trying to buy as many products either directly from the farmer or from the co op where I know it's like pasture raised, right? And local and organic. And then and even beyond that, I try to buy from as many regenerative farms as possible. So, So I might seem like a psycho, but this is it's, it's, but what I'm saying to you is it's like it's waffles and syrup, right? Which waffles and syrup is like a total normal thing. But I am trying to, I am always trying to think, what's the most nutrient dense ingredient that I can use, particularly for my children?
1: So, here's the thing. And as I'm listening to that and I think back to raising my own children, parts of that sound exhausting, but it's not. And that's the thing. I think that's sort of how, We as Americans have to rethink how we're feeding our children. Mm -hmm. We have to rethink that because right away you can you can bet people like, oh, my God, that sounds like you said, it sounds elitist. It sounds expensive. But I do find like I only get maple syrup. It's more expensive than things that are filled with high fructose corn syrup. It is more expensive. I know. But you know what? I use less of it. Yeah. I use less of it. And I think it goes back to that that interview we did years ago now, where they where she was talking about with meat consumption, eat less meat, but eat better meat. And I think that's the thing. And that's what I even learned from my own son Campbell, is he would make these he's he's a vegetarian. So he would make mm-hmm. these amazing vegetarian dishes that were flavorful and filling, but were primarily just really well put together spices beans and rice it takes time but but he would make enough what he would do because he's so disciplined he would make it on sunday and that he would eat that same dish all week now you can't do that with children but he would do that for us and so we could taste that and i guarantee you the portions on that the expense of that portion was next to nothing i mean really maybe it was a dollar 25 per serving yeah i would think if that maybe two dollars i don't know but I just feel like we have to get away from this idea that to buy the best is elitist and instead to make sure that you you make sort of concessions in other areas. I mean, I was shocked. I went to go buy a box of Wheat Thins. I haven't bought Wheat Thins in forever.
0: Oh, when you taste it, they're going to taste really sugary to you.
1: Well, I I don't know why I wanted them. I just did. They were like $5. Yeah. They were like, and it's like, you can't tell me that that's that you can't buy other things that would satisfy those same cravings for the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. It's just obviously Wheat Thins are a a faster delivery system. But I just think as we look at the problems that American children are having with nutrition and ADHD and all these other things that some people are tying to perhaps nutrition, we have to rethink it. So, okay, so that's breakfast. What would a typical lunch, like what would Bernie's lunch be packed up
0: for school? So I send lunch to school and I would love to not have to do that, by the way. And they do offer, like now Minnesota has free school lunches for everyone, which right. in my opinion, I believe that food at school should be a part of the cost of doing business. Like that should just I be included. I love that. Included. I think like that's that's something that, you know, and you you can think about that from a political sp- perspective or not. I don't. I just think of it as this should be part of the cost of doing business. Kids going to school should be fed at school. And that for some said, kids... Though, for some kids, that's the only meal they get. So, 100%. Yeah. Um, and now they do breakfast and lunch at school. Fantastic. The problem that I'm having, though, is that it's at our particular school, and we love our school, um, it's a lot of ultra-processed foods. So yeah. I will look through, like, I've been looking through the menu because I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, can I start to, like, get out of this lunch deal a little bit? Like, I'm paying for it. You know, like, it's, right. it's coming out of my tax dollars. I would love to, like, right. utilize this Um but there's a lot of ultra-processed foods that are put in to um to the lunches. So I would love to push it further. And I mean, I would love to see like the state dedicating a certain percentage to local farms and all of that, but right. we're not there yet. Hopefully we'll get there. So I pack their lunches and usually their lunch is pretty simple. I mean, I have these, it's called an Omi box bento box. Speaking of the Bento box, and right. what I love about it is you can put a thermos in there and then also pack things around it. So I'll do, for example, rice and beans. I make rice and beans all the time. And I'll put those in in there. And then I usually do some fruits, some vegetable. I always do a little sweet treat. So I buy like... And this stuff is kind of expensive. So that's why it's a little bit of an amount. But I buy like these unreal M&Ms. They're like their own version of M&M's, but they don't have red dye number 40, y- you right. know, yellow right. dye number whatever, blue dye number this. They're they're dyed with plant extracts and so they're not as bright of colors. And so I buy those and that's something I splurge on because I want my kids to not have like a psycho sugar hoarding problem and I want them to know that like a treat is just a treat, but at the same time, like this is, it's not within my values to do these artificial colors. Like okay. I'm just not Doing it, right. and there's sometimes I can't avoid it when we're out places when we go to a Halloween party. But you when it comes to a right. daily basis, that's not what we're consuming. And frankly, they're banned in most other countries. You could probably get a food scientist to tell you that they're fine and they're fine in small amounts, and that's okay. If people want to feel that way, but when candy is shipped to the to the UK and any and the EU, it doesn't have those dyes in it because they don't that is allow shocking it. Shocking to me. That is shocking to me. Right without like a warning on it that says, so, so that's, um, so there's always like fruit, vegetable. A lot of times I'll throw a hard boiled egg in there too. And I salt it so that they get like a little bit of extra protein boost. And then I make them little sandwiches quite a bit too with, um, turkey and, um, and Franklin really just loves like a good brioche bun with, um, some good butter and some good jam that doesn't have sugar That's great. That's great. And then and then dinner is what? Um, dinner depends. Dinner, a lot of times I do a lot of soup at the house. Dinner is tricky because, like, my middle um child, Franklin, I love you, Franklin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is um, he is is a little pickier. So what I try to do is just up the nutrient density of the foods that I know that he likes. So when I make soup. I mean, he'll a lot of times just like pick out the chicken and then I usually do sourdough bread and butter. So he's getting like chicken, bread, butter, which to right. me is solid and good. Right. And we're getting there with him. And he's, you know, he's discovering new things that he likes. Soups are big things. I do a lot of pastas too. And a lot of times we're not a gluten-free family, but I do like a gluten-free pasta. There's one by the company is like Nature or something. I don't know how to say it. Right but they have a, it's like lentil and rice fusilli that oh, seems yeah. to fill them up a little bit more. You know, it's not necessarily that I'm like anti the gluten because we do bread and stuff all the time. But I find that if I give them a pasta with a little bit more um, heft to it in terms of like the protein and the nutrient density, that then they're full longer and they're right. not like whining for a snack. And then we just do, you know, like we do hot dogs and stuff all the time, but I buy um, hot dogs from Thousand Hills, which is, They're all regeneratively farmed. They're local. They're amazing. They have amazing hot dogs. And I do like a good organic bun and ketchup from Annie's that's real sugar that isn't high fructose corn syrup. You know, a lot of it is like, it's not like we're eating these crazy things. I'm just shifting the choice that I'm making about the version that I purchase or the version that we consume. And that's easy
1: to do. I mean, I do that now too. I just, before I buy things, if I haven't bought a certain product before, I just flip it over and I look and see. Mostly, I'm looking for high fructose corn syrup because yeah. it's in everything. And so I just want sugar. I mean, I'm fine with just if it's going to have, if, if it needs that, if that's part of what it is. Yeah, if it's barbecue just,
0: sauce or ketchup or you yeah. I'm fine
1: with that. But it, I just don't want the high fructose corn syrup. So I think, I I know all of this. I mean, I look back to feeding my own ch- my own children and mostly that responsibility falls on mothers. I mean, I think that that's true across the board. And I know that it's hard and I know that it's expensive. I mean, I, post-COVID, food prices have soared. I mean, that just is, it is shocking to me. What was I buying other than the wheat thins? I was getting some kefir, I think. And I think it was like six or $7. I mean, it was just, it was, it was really, really expensive. So I know Mm -hmm. all that to be true, but I, I, I just think when we look at our kids and you think about that that food truly is fuel for their brains, that's all it needs to be for them. It's for their it's for their bodies to grow and their brains to grow. And I just it kind of breaks my heart when I see kids that are just eating junk. And I used to see this a lot with my own kids and the kids that were
0: around them Mm
1: -hmm. and their taste buds acclimate
0: to that. It, well, and, it happens with adults, and so it definitely happens with kids. I mean, and, you know this, yeah. Like if and you're so eating just, that kind of stuff, you know what happens. You
1: become addicted to it, and I think mm-hmm. that that's the hard part to see that if these kids don't really know what it feels like to be fed well, that that becomes the habit for life. And and so you know, with your kids, and I'll prepare you for this. At some point, they may their re- their rebellion might be food. Oh yeah. And and that's probably going to happen. But what you'll always know, and more than likely what they'll come back to, is they know what it feels like to eat good food. And they'll come back to that. But think of the kids that never know what that feels like, what that yeah. pure energy really feels like. And that's kind of heartbreaking to me. It but. It,
0: it, it is. It to- I totally agree. And I mean, you just give your child some sugar and you'll see – how their bodies react to it. I mean, you know that food impacts us. But you know, at the same time, you know, just today I had um we had hockey and then we went to swimming and I took the kids to Starbucks and they got hot chocolates. And they had the hot chocolate and um, Franklin ate the whole thing and then had a bit of a or drank the whole thing. And then he had a little bit of a digestive situation when he got home. I will spare you the details, but it was not (laughs) pleasant and ended in a shower for him. So, So they're learning. I think they're learning how food impacts them. Bernie drank probably. She has learned that if she drinks a whole hot chocolate, she doesn't feel that great. So she probably had two thirds of it. So, the thing is, it's like this constant battle of balance because I want them to experience these things. And we got a breakfast sandwich at Starbucks, and I was like, man, this breakfast sandwich sucks compared to mine. I mean, this is just like, it just doesn't taste like anything. I'm like, this tastes like nothing. So, we eat out, we certainly go places and we order in pizza and we do these types of things. But I do feel like if you can just level up at home, if you can level up at home, then when you're out, you don't have to be like these tight reins. Right. And your kids can really start to learn intuitively for themselves. They can learn what feels good and what doesn't feel good to them. And they, I mean, my kids know that like they feel if if we're gonna have a treat, they feel better having a treat after they've had a, a meal. Because it sits better in their stomachs, and they learn this so early, and you, you're like amazed if you give your kids the opportunity and you have those conversations about how things make you feel, how in tune they are with their own bodies, and then they can make choices according to that. Because you know it's the same as me. Like I will make the choice. I know having three glasses of wine is probably not the best choice for me health wise, or that I might not feel that great the next morning. Right. But if I'm with my girlfriends. And I have an Uber and we're having like the best conversation. I'm going to have three glasses of wine. And like I'm making that choice that I will understand that I am I might have to pay the consequence of like not feeling that great. But in that moment, it's worth it in the experience that I'm having there. And that's how I want them to feel about right. foods right. and drinks as they get older. It's all a good conversation. It's good. all a good conversation. And the, and the final...
1: I need to get back to the um Japanese nutritional w- wisdom. The one thing we didn't get to was number four, which is the children, and these are big generalizations, so bear with us. Um, according to this writer, drink water or tea instead of soda. Oh, that's and, the
0: biggest thing. I, yeah, I, I that's mean, why I went back
1: to it. It's like if you can keep soda, and I was pretty good at this. If you can keep soda out of your home, oh. that that's a that's huge. That's absolutely huge. especially well, either diet or regular. If you keep both of them out
0: of your home, that's a that's a big darn deal. So I love the Japanese wisdom today. This was I really nice. I and know. anytime we get to talk about a bento box, you know, <laughs> I'm on board. All right, Marjorie Punnett, if you're enjoying this podcast, like we are, and we hope you are, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Apparently, when you review podcasts and you give it some stars. It makes it more visible to other people. And I love hearing from you when you whisper to me at public places. I'm a nester and I would love to hear more of it. So the more that we get on board, love that.
1: Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best in the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.